This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And this week, extra special for us, Rabbi Yudin addresses us from the state of Israel. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning to you, Nachum. Good morning, everybody. Good Erev Shabbos. For me, it's this afternoon, candle lighting here in Yerushalayim and in Beit Shemesh. Ramat Beit Shemesh is same time, 4.15. Oh, but it's so different. I tell you every time, Nachum, you feel the Erev Shabbos here in Eretz Yisrael. Not just that all the stores close earlier, but that beautiful hustle and bustle in the streets. You can actually see and feel and sense the Erev Shabbos Kodesh. It was just Hanukkah several days ago, and in the Halel we recited, Es Halech Lefnei Hashem Biartzot Hachayim. Literally, I want to walk before God in the land of the living. And the land of the living might certainly refer to the world to come, and others understand it refers to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, I'd like to share with you an exciting piece of information, that Eretz Yisrael literally is Eretz HaChayim, the average life expectancy in Israel, Baruch Hashem, is on the rise. And... Namely, the men have an 80.3 years life expectancy and women 83.9, which you should know is an increase of five months for men and three months for women since the 2012 to 2013 census was taken. And I can only tell you that in the last 10 years, the life expectancy has risen in Eretz Yisrael 2.9 years for men and 2.4 years for women. Now, this is eighth place so far of the developed countries in terms of life expectancy. And interestingly, in terms of different polls, Eretz Yisrael ranked 11th happiest country in the world out of 115 countries. Just wait until Moshiach comes, but watch, we're getting ready for him. Who are we competing against? We're competing against Norway, Switzerland, Canada, Denmark, Japan, none of whom are surrounded by enemies that are trying to as we know, unfortunately, you know, annihilated. And still, look at the protective bubble that Baruch Hashem Eretz Yisrael has. So I'd like to begin by saying that tonight, when we are all going to recite the bracha, me seven hours before you, and then the bracha right before the Shemona Esrei tonight, HaPoreis, Sukas Shalom Oleinu, Take the bracha seriously. The Baruch Hashem, there's happiness. Baruch Hashem, there's life expectancy on the rise in Eretz Yisrael. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayigash. Parshas Vayigash is such an incredibly emotional parsha. It is the time that Yosef reveals himself and once again he tries his best to restore the Achtus, the brotherhood between himself 
and his brothers. Yosef and Binyamin, after 22 years. Yosef and his father, after 22 years. And, as well, it is the beginning of the Golos Mitzrayim with Yaakov and his family coming down to Mitzrayim. Torah tells us there are 70 souls. You'll count the number and count the number, and what are you going to get? 69. So you're going to say, oh, come on, almost 70. But the rabbis tell us so beautifully that Hashem says to Yaakov, and he says to all of us, <coughs> I'm going down with you. Namely, I'm the 70th. And I'm coming up with you. And 210 years later, when we leave Mitzrayim, we left almost 600,000. That's correct. And who was the Mashlim who completed the number then? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He is with us in our times of challenge. At the end of the parsha, working backwards, when Yaakov meets Paro, interestingly, this is in chapter 47, Pesach 8 and 9. Paro asks Yaakov, How old are you? So Yaakov simply doesn't answer, I am 130 years of age. But he adds, He adds that, unfortunately, the years of my life were few and bad, and they did not compare to the life of my forefathers, right, and their sojourns in this world. And the Das Zekenim, Mibalia Tosvos, brings a medrash that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was rather disappointed in Yaakov in his response. True, Yaakov had challenges in his life. Yes, he had the challenge of Esav, the challenge of Lavan, the challenge of Dina, the challenge of Yosef. But, says the Medrash, Hashem says to Yaakov, look here, I extricated you and saved you from all of these challenges. And therefore, you should not have responded the way you did. And moreover, asks Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, Zechatzadik Levracha, in his famous Sichos Musar, asks, wait a minute, the Medrash says that Yaakov lost 33 years because of his answer, but in order to get 33 words, it already starts with the question of Paro. Why is Yaakov punished for Yaakov's question, for Paro's question? And the answer that he gives so powerfully is that our panim, our face, is really not our own. Our panim reflects what's going on inside of us, and if we share a more cheerful countenance with others, it gives others a greater sense of optimism and a greater sense of happiness on life. And Yaakov was punished because he unfortunately, to use that expression, was carrying his emotion on his sleeve, but the emotion was not a powerful one. Now, when Yosef meets his brothers and identifies himself to his brothers, so there's no question that what does he say to them? He says in chapter 
45, Pasuk 5. And now, Al-Teyotzvu, don't you be sad, and don't be angry that you sold me here. Because God has sent me as a provider to provide for you, to sustain for you, and then further, further on, it says, for the entire land and indeed the entire world. So basically, what is Yosef saying to his brothers? Is it simply, don't worry, fellas, all's well that ends well? It ended up, you might have meant bad, but look what happened. God meant well, and therefore, oh, no, I think there's much, something much deeper here. And that is as follows. Unfortunately, what the brothers did was wrong. And according to Rabbeinu Bachaya, in his commentary, Yosef never forgave the brothers. We don't find mechila on Yosef's part. And that's why he says, unfortunately, there is that strong connection between the Asura Haruge Malchus, the ten tzaddikim that were taken from us in Roman times, and the punishment of what the ten brothers did. They did something wrong, and it was bad. But the parsha is teaching us a very powerful lesson, that within the challenges of life, within the difficulties, one is always to see that silver lining. One is always to see that wink of God. One is always to realize that even under the most difficult and challenging times, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there with us. We might not see it. We might not understand it. Certainly not at the moment that we're going through challenges and difficult times. Sometimes later on in our life and sometimes not even in our lifetime. It's only in our children and their children's lifetime. But this is the concept that when in Parshas Kisisa, Moshe says to God, Harini no es kodecha, I want to understand you, God. But he says, I want to see you. And to see you there means I want to understand. And we know that God has no body. So what is he looking for? He's looking to understand, says the Gemara in the first chapter of Brachos, Tzadik Veralo, why righteous people suffer, why Russia Vitovlo, why good people prosper. And God says, oh no, you can't see me. I will put you in the rock. You'll see my back and not my front. What's going on here? God has no back and no front. But the rabbis understand it to mean that you won't see me and understand me while it's happening. But you'll be able to see God in the footprints on the sands of history. And so this coming Thursday is Asura Beteves. And you should know that the uh, chief rabbinate of Israel years ago designated Asura Beteves as the day that those who lost family in the Shoah and unfortunately do not know the day of a yard site, the day to say Kaddish, many, many, many took as they directed Asura Beteves this coming Thursday as the day of remembrance for these, you know, Holocaust uh, Kedoshim uh, who passed away, you know, in the Shoah. And in their memory, and to teach this concept of being able to see that silver lining, to see the wink of God 
even in the most trying of times, I want to share with you an incredible true story and the story of two very special heroic Jews, Rudolf Verba and Alfred Wetzler, who were sent to Auschwitz in the early part of the war, and they were capable young men, and the Germans understood this, and basically they became statisticians for the German. And they amassed and remembered a great deal of exact information because the Germans, that was their nature. And so they knew how many came in and unfortunately how many were being killed. And at this point, the world did not know. And they were committed to escaping from Auschwitz. How in the world can you do so when there is the inner ring of the guards and the outer ring, which is there, and the barbed wire? There's no way that you can get out alive. They did. How? So listen carefully now. They were going to build, or they were building at that time, a barracks for Hungarian Jews that were going to come. And there were big piles of planks that were going to be used for these barracks. So the planks were being moved to the place where the barracks were being built, and they had a brilliant idea. They bribed two prisoners to, when they put the boards and set them up for the building of the new barracks, they left a hollow space inside where two men could hide. And five layers of these heavy boards, each layer 15 centimeters thick, was put above them. They went inside. And listen carefully. So when the roll call came and it was noticed that they were missing and the guards naturally came all around with the dogs and they had learned an interesting patent that if one takes Russian tobacco, soaks it in oil, dries it and spreads it around, it confounds the sense of smell of the dogs and repels them. And so they were for a day and a half, and everybody was looking for them. Two German prisoners were walking by, and they said they've got to be in the camp. Maybe they're hiding here. And they started to peel away the layers, the first layer, the second layer, the third layer, the fourth layer. There's one layer 15 centimeters thick between Alfred Wetzler and Rudolf Verba and the Germans that are looking for them, they had the knives in their hands. They realized that them at least killed two Germans, and they pictured themselves as being tortured when they're found and hung literally and killed. And so what happened? Just at that moment, there was an alarm, and there was confusion down at the other end of the camp, and everybody was yelling, we caught them, we caught them. And they never came back. And what happened? They waited another night, and by then, the rule was, after three days, if the men were not found, they were thought to either have been killed somehow in the camp or out of the camp, but certainly not there. And so they tried, 
and they tried and they tried and they couldn't move that one layer. They were so exhausted and so malnourished and so weak. And so finally, with the last bit of energy, they re- couldn't remove the lift. They slid away that top layer in darkness and they looked at each other and they said, thank you, Hashem. Had the Germans not removed the outer top four layers, they never would have been done it. These two men got out, and as a result, they blew the whistle. As a result, pressure was put on the Hungarian government, and from the one million Hungarian Jews that were supposed to be uh, killed, only 400,000 were the ability to see even in the most challenging and difficult of times. Asar Beteves says Yavudraham, if it would fall on a Shabbos, we would have to fast even on a Shabbos. Why? Explains the Hassam Sofer, because on this day, Hashem judges each and every year, will the Beis Hamikdash be rebuilt again? In Golos, God gives us that silver lining. When we fast, this coming Thursday, there is that chance. If we do ours, please God, this coming Tisha B'Av is not going to be a fast day. It's going to be a holiday. Shabbat Shalom to all.